And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. David J. Ayers, and he is author of a book, and I'll let him describe that book, but it's Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. Dr. Ayers, it's an honor to have you on with us today. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you very much. You uh, continue working on the themes of Christian marriage that are contained in your comprehensive introduction book, and uh, you've also written a more recent piece called Sex and the Single Individual that was published in the journal, I guess it is, the Institute for Family Studies. So to get us started, could you first describe your book, and then we'll get into the details of this uh, special research that you more recently did. Sure. Um, well, the the book is a comprehensive introduction to Christian marriage as a whole that blends social science data and research with uh, historical understanding, Christian doctrine, and theology, and um, kind of begins with an overview of what marriage is as we've come to understand it uh, as Christians, and then looks at the basic purposes of marriage, and then goes on and begins kind of addressing uh, major issues in marriage one by one and wraps up with talking about, you know, the role of the church in, in, in strengthening marriage and, and helping Christians to be more faithful uh, in their understanding and practice of marriage. So that's the book as a whole. And the um, when you look at the when you look at marriage and preparation for marriage and you look at the basic functions of marriage of course one of them is is procreation and child rearing is a, is is one of the three basic purposes of marriage that Christians have understood and another one is a legitimate grounds for sexual fulfillment and so both of those of course come together with their understanding that sex is for marriage and not for outside of marriage and one of the reasons for that is because God desires children uh, who are the product of sexual relationships to be born in marriage and to be raised by married couples. And everything that we know from social science indicates that God's purposes for those are well-founded uh, and that the welfare of the human race is deeply tied uh, to people uh, having children in marriage and having sexual relationships in marriage and the consequences of not doing so are profoundly negative uh, and also involve uh, being clearly disobedient to God in, in ways that he has laid out for us in very, very unmistakable, uh, definite types of commandments and languages that as a church we've never really doubted uh, what God's at least basic basic morality of sex, that sex is for marriage. Right. And um, if someone wanted to study that aspect, they could just simply do a Google search, uh, check out sexual purity or um, the Bible and sex and that sort of thing, and all kinds of scripture verses come up uh, where we are um, instructed to flee sexual immorality the promise of God that no temptation has taken you that's not common to man, and the marriage bed is has got to be held in honor among all, and uh, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Just a, a slew, a whole slew of, of Scripture verses that tell us that sex is for marriage, and marriage is between a man and a woman. There's absolutely no question about that, scripturally speaking. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if if they 
And in my book, I, I lay out not only a lot of statistics about that, but spend an entire chapter dealing in detail uh, with what the Bible teaches about it and where Christians have historically landed on those issues. So very thorough discussion of probably every major scripture text having to deal with this issue. Yeah, and again, that book is Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. Um, Now, Dr. Ayers teaches at Grove City College, and uh, this more recent article that appears in the Institute for Family Studies has the title Sex and the Single Evangelical. And... um, For those of us who haven't been following this too closely, um, it's rather shocking to consider um, how we are slipping as an evangelical community in in terms of uh, obeying the Lord and and being pure and faithful to Him. Uh, Dr. Ayers, can you share with us now some of your findings? Well... What I did in those findings was I looked at something called the National Survey for Family Growth, and I I tackle what are called NSFG data, which comes for the Center for Disease Control uh, in my book. But, you know, the the timing of the book and so forth, I did not have access to the last two years cycle of of the NSFG, which which didn't come out until December of 2018. So what I did was I took the National Survey for Family Growth and I took the last two cycles, which would be uh, 2013 through 2015 cycle. I mean, it takes them that long to do it. And then the 2015 to 2017 cycle, which then was released in December 2018. And I look at that in detail. And we're talking about a huge uh, number of respondents, over 5,000 males, over 5,000 females, uh, highly trained researchers that gather this information, which includes them asking a lot of questions about people's religious beliefs and practices. And so there are several ways to classify people in terms of whether or not uh, they are evangelical Protestant uh, in their orientation. And I looked at a few different ways, and I didn't really come up with different results or significantly different results, depending on how I measured it. But Basically, what they do is they look at the, the, the they look at church membership and they look at those denominations and then they classify you on the basis of that. So, for example, if you're a member of a Southern Baptist church, then you're an evangelical Protestant. If you're a member of a Presbyterian church in America, then you would be an evangelical Protestant, and so forth. So it's 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 basically you know, a pretty thorough understanding that enables you to connect people's religious beliefs and practices and then ask a number of extremely detailed questions regarding sexual uh, practices. And um, then I also looked at the general social survey, which not only looks at sexual practices, but also looks at sexual beliefs, uh, including whether or not you believe uh, that sex outside of marriage between two consenting adults uh, can ever be morally justified. Um, and I look at that information as well. And to, to put the whole thing together and to summarize it, first of all, most people who would be classifiable as evangelical Protestants and who would classify themselves uh, within the evangelical Protestant camp, uh, most people, and particularly most young people, uh, think that sex outside of marriage can be justified. Uh, it's a minority of both males and females who will say that that uh, sex outside of marriage between two consenting adults can never be uh, morally justified, which is, of course, what the scriptures teach. 
when you actually look at the practice, it's it's literally unbelievable. The overwhelming majority of Christian of self-identified evangelical Protestant young people are sexually active uh, by the time they're 22 years old, and 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 by overwhelming majority, I mean overwhelming majority. Um, close to half have engaged in at least some form of sexual activity beyond petting. By that, we would mean oral, anal, or actual vaginal intercourse. Um, almost half, I'd say around around you know the mid 40 percent range, have done so between the ages of 15 and 17. And then, if they become sexually active, they tend to go on and become uh, pretty promiscuous, as promiscuous as anybody else. So, for example, among among self-identified evangelical Protestant young people who are never married between the ages of 18 and 22 who have ever had any any sexual intercourse with anyone, 41% of the females and 57% of the males indicate that they have had four or more sexual partners. And that's literally by the age of 22. Now, this is uh, very sobering, and I, the, word that comes very to my sobering. Mi- the word that comes to my mind is a disaster. It, it is a disaster, and what I have found, um, and, and, and some of the details are staggering. I think many pastors and, and people who are leaders in churches are prepared to find out that a lot of evangelical young people are more sexually active than they wish. I think they have no idea that it's this bad. And, and you know, so again, um, you know, the... Then when you look at the number that are engaged in, in, in practices that are really somewhat degrading, such as, for example, women, you know, allowing men to perform, uh, you know, and I hate to bring this up on the air, but something like anal sex, one out of five oh. among evangelical Protestant females. And f- remember that if, if, if these girls are telling this face-to-face to a researcher or, or, or even using a secret ballot technique, if they're admitting on a survey that they've done this, then the actual percentage you have is far greater than that. That's right. And the, the, not only the degradation, but the health risks associated with this are, are just unbelievable. And, you know, we, we do find that the numbers moderate quite a bit when you're looking at people who say that they go to church every week. But most self-identified evangelical men uh, evangelical young men don't go to church every week. Only about 55% of the self-identified evangelical Protestant females do. And even even among those who go to church every week, the numbers are still they're better, but they're still unbelievably high, well into the well into the majority level uh, in terms of overall sexual activity by the time they're 18 or 22. And, and so. It really is a disaster, and I find that Christian leaders just really don't want to uh, to deal with this. They, they 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 really don't quite know what to do with this. Yeah, and I keep thinking about Christian parents who have a very good family and the kids a very good family life. Uh, perhaps they've chosen to homeschool or a private school, and they've been very careful uh, with their children, and yet not sheltering them overly. But they have—they truly have virgins. And uh, how do those kids um, meet other fine kids that are pure, and you know, start a new life of marriage uh, with purity? And I, I think I know there's many hurt people, but I'm I'm thinking about the ones who have kept themselves pure, it's, uh, it's a challenge to find uh, a good mate. 
Well, and it is, and and, and that's something I, I it, it when when I talk to people about it, I try to communicate that look. First of all, um, assume in any group that you're part of that reality is probably a little worse than you think it is. Yeah. I mean, just start start with that assumption. Nevertheless, look. There are subgroups within the church that are doing really well overall, especially when you consider the the general culture tsunami that we're facing on this, where literally people are ashamed of virginity. They're they're ashamed of sexual chastity. Yeah, good point. To promote right. it is to is to be is to be held up to be a bigot. So our young people are facing these unbelievable headwinds. Uh, plus, you know, twenty four seven access to pornography privately something that never existed when you and I were young people. I mean, the, so the temptation, the pressure is just unbelievable, and it's just a lot harder. And I, I, I think we want to kind of start with that kind of real compassion. Um, but what I tell, tell folks, so for example, I was, I was addressing a parent's audience at a, at a very fine classical school recently, and I said, look, I know your kids really well, and I'm absolutely certain that the statistics for your young people are nowhere close to what I see. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, They're probably worse than you wish they were, but look, we're not talking, you know. At the same time, um, remember that they're about to embark on a life where even if they go to an evangelical college, they're, they're going to be part of this general larger collection of self-identified evangelical Protestants. And, you know, you might think, hey, you know, they're going to this great Christian college, you know, they're going to be safe in that environment. But but really, they're going to, have to, they're going to be dealing with those kind of headwinds. So I, I think it's really important that they, that they are, are really attached to a strong local church with good pastoring, with good pastoral oversight, with elders who care about this stuff, which has solid teaching on that. And they make a point of having anchoring friendships and relationships within those kind of solid uh, Christian groups. So I've watched my kids do that, and it's enormously helpful because even in a Christian college environment, there's going to be the ones that are really holding or really trying hard to live a consistent biblical life, and there's going to be those that are not. And what you want to do is you want to have constructive engagement with those who are maybe in a more needy, weak type of a state because as Christians we should be ministering to other people. At the same time, you want really strong anchoring relationships with with people that take sexual purity as seriously as you do. And you can't take it for granted. You know, you have to keep, you have to realize that it's going to be something that's going to require a lot of attention and thought and um, support. You know, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's really true. Now, what about the parent out there who, who wants the very best for their child? Um, they're getting of that age, um, 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, growing up in the home, but they're afraid to broach this important subject. Any words of wisdom for that parent? I think you have to approach it. I, I, I think I think there are there are materials out there that handle this type of thing explicitly, but with a great deal of grace, um, and without without making it lurid or without even unintentionally making those things that God considers to be abhorrent somehow attractive, like the kind of Pandora's box uh, syndrome. And um, we've, and just to name one that we've used, we, 
my wife and I have used something called passport to purity. A lot of other people have used that successfully, and it's it's pretty explicit. It, it it gets into the realities of sex, what people do that's wrong, the kind of things that they've probably experienced or been tempted with, um, and it enables you to kind of walk through that in a really structured way. Um, I um, my wife would would go through those with my daughters when they reached a particular age, and I went through them with my sons, and we just kind of accepted that, and. Um, it created some really great opportunities for dialogue. And sometimes it's the kid that has never heard of these things and you're having a conversation with them uh, for the first time about them. For the other ones, it's it's the one who's not only heard of them, but has friends that are involved in that and have become tempted by that or even fallen in particular areas who are relieved um, to basically have somebody that loves them, that they look up to and they care about them to basically open this up and say, you know, it's okay for you to talk to me about these things. I, I just think, you know, and, and the fact is, since our culture is hitting at a younger age, we don't have the luxury of waiting. That's just my opinion. I don't think we have the luxury of waiting uh, in this particular time and age. I, I think as soon as they're mature enough to handle it and before they've really begun falling into these things, uh, we need to tackle it. And I, I would add one other thing is that the absolute pervasiveness of pornography and the difficulty to keep it away, even away from kids who, <clears throat> who, who want to stay away from it, but are having stuff shoved in front of them at school, who are having things texted to them, et cetera. They may be finding out about some of these things in some really awful ways sooner than we could possibly imagine. And, um, we, um, in a sense, we're kind of swimming in in very polluted water right now, even in the best world. And there's no way to completely protect our kids from that. Yes, um, the sooner the better, basically. Now, this chart that you have in your study, today we're talking with Dr. David Ayers, and uh, he's got a recent article, Sex and the Single Evangelical. Um, there is one thing that stands out in your first graphic, and I, I want to describe it really briefly. Uh, you've got the groups of people, um, evangelical Protestant, mainstream Protestant, etc., Catholic, none. Um, and you've also broken it up by age brackets uh, and, and gender, female 15 to 17, male 15 to 17. And, and this is the percentage of those folks who have had sexual activity of some sort. And then when it gets up to the ages 18 to 22, both female and male, um, it jumps drastically. And so um, there is an opportunity at the younger ages to have these talks with the kids um, before they have basically wrecked their lives, if I can use language that strong. But there's something else that stands out to me, Dr. Ayers, and it's this. Sure. Um, the evangelical Protestant numbers compared to those of none. That is, they, they have no religious affiliation at all. And the, the numbers for ages 18 to 22 are not that much worse than the none. Uh, that, that, that was kind of shocking and troubling. It is. And, and you know, now... Because not because the nun people don't go to church at all and don't have any religious affiliation. If you if you were to again go back to those evangelical Protestant kids that are in church every week, and by the way, that's parents get your kids in church every week. 
make sure they're part of the ongoing ministry and teaching of the church. It makes a huge difference. Amen. Um, the um, then you find a, a pretty dramatic difference from the nuns, although you're still talking about a majority of evangelical young people are getting into sex, even among those who go to church regularly. But it's it's much much lower. But it is. It means that they're not applying their faith and taking it seriously, and it's one of the things that ends up kind of leading the church to to being accused constantly of hypocrisy. That we we preach this right. this, uh, this this message of biblical holiness and sexuality, but we don't live it. We don't hold ourselves accountable to it. We oftentimes don't hold our leaders accountable to it. And as a result, you know, it ends up really bringing the name of Christ, I think, into disrepute. Yes. Now, uh, in the uh, few minutes remaining, maybe you can give our listeners uh, some references where they can go online. Uh, Mention your main larger book again and anything else that might help parents um, and and even friends of of young people to uh, influence them in the right way with good materials. Well, I think right off the bat, uh, Christian Marriage, a Comprehensive Introduction. Uh, you can look that up on Amazon or any of the major Christian book uh, sellers. Uh, if you have Logos Bible software, it's actually available through the Logos system. You can get it even, it's only about, I think the street price for that now is about $19.99. It's only, um, it's, it's about $5 less than that if you buy something like the Kindle version. Um, that that wraps That deals with this in detail. But it also wraps it in within the larger understanding of marriage, uh, theologically and historically, and it really helps to balance that out with a, also a, a really positive vision for marriage, and what a what a pro marriage church can look like, um, and has looked like at various points in the past. Uh, this particular study is um, the Institute of Family Studies, and if you Google it, you'll find that there's both a short version of it and then it's linked to the longer version of it. And um, so the short version is actually sex in a single evangelical, and then the larger version is current sexual practices of evangelical teens and young adults. Uh, both were released in late August of 2019. Uh, those would make a great thing to just sit down with the pastors, elders in your church and say, let's talk about this. Is, is this describe us? If it does, doesn't, how do we know that? Um, the um, Anything put out by Harvest USA in terms of... Um, I contacted the head of Harvest USA here in Pittsburgh, which is a ministry that specifically focuses on sexual addiction, sexual problems, pornography, homosexuality. And it's just a wonderful ministry that was birthed out of James Montgomery Boyce's Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia uh, some years ago. And they just do incredible stuff. And I said, you know, I talk about the problems. I think that you guys really represent the solutions. They have really great materials that, to talk to kids about this stuff. They have great kind of short pieces. They have good webinars and online opportunities and conferences, uh, basically about building discipleship groups, about building uh, support groups for parents and spouses of people that are struggling with different issues like this. That's That's really great. And in terms of sitting down and talking to Christian young people about sex systematically, again, as, as, as Dan has pointed out, before they get into these later years where they're really starting to fall heavily to this stuff, before mo- when most of them are still in a place where you can really reach them before disaster strikes, 
Um, there's some really good materials out there, but I would strongly represent Passport to Purity. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, this has been uh, enlightening, and um, just one last comment. Um, you may be in a boat <laughs> where you've already taken <laughs> um, the dive, as it were, and you you realize, oh, no, I really messed things up. Dr. Ayers, any comments for that person and words of encouragement? God is faithful to those who repent. Look, I, I came... I came to Christianity out of a kind of a hippie background, and I wouldn't relive those days to save anything. And um, so I know what God saved me from. I also know that, you know, we fall and we get back up. And um, the, the pressures are incredible. The deception is incredible. The number of false teachers that are arising in the church are numerable and people actually giving up their faith like Josh Harris in order to promote a kind of a pro-sex view of reality. Um, the um, God is faithful and um, he doesn't, he's not interested in starting with any human being other than where they're at at that moment. And um, he, he, there is no judgment uh, except for those who refuse to, to yield their life to his lordship. For those who do, give their life to the Lordship of Christ, there is redemption, there is salvation, and there is, as, as, as Paul said in, in Corinthians, we're made new. We're made new creations in Christ. And all that can be washed away and, and, and be used for good. So I would just encourage them to be hopeful and to just cling to Christ and to join a good church and to confess their sins as they need to, to parents and, and their pastor, and and to, to just engage the kind of help that they need to walk faithfully and then just just look look to Christ. Amen. That's very helpful. Our guest today has been Dr. David J. Ayers. He's interim provost and vice president of academic affairs, Grove City College, and uh, we'll put his contact information up on our website when we post this as a podcast. Dr. Ayers, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a challenging subject, and and I just appreciate you having the courage to tackle it. (laughs) And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.